This podcast is brought to you by Central, helping schools work smart. You know, we were passionate about this our whole lives and then we turn around and all of a sudden, where are all of our friends? They've fallen off along the way. You know, women and girls are interested in technology, but we lose them from industry over time. And it's like death by a thousand cuts. That's Sarah Moran, CEO of Girl Geek Academy, reflecting on the dire situation facing women in the technology space. Fortunately, she's one of the entrepreneurs making an impact to turn the situation around. Sarah is my guest today on Central Station. Hello, I'm Colin Klubik. If the idea of a hackathon gives you the impression of blokey tech nerds huddled around computers in basements eating pizza and drinking beer, you'd be fairly close to describing reality. At least, that's what Sarah Moran found out when she was invited to one some years ago. Apart from the fact that there weren't many women at these events, it was hard for Sarah to see why anyone would attend one of these events. This led her to reimagine what a hackathon could be like, bring the concept into the light, and ultimately create what is now known as Girl Geek Academy. Its purpose is clear, to fix the hole in the tech pipeline by, and I quote, teaching women, girls and families across a range of different industries including games, startups, 3D printing, making, design, tech, drones, space and aviation. In this discussion, you'll hear Sarah describe her journey and how Girl Geek Academy is helping young women achieve and thrive in the tech space. If you're looking for inspiration and enthusiasm, you'll find it here. Sarah's got loads of it. Listen, Girl Geek Academy, when I look at that, I think that's a cool name. But I suspect that back in the day, um, you were probably not so keen on the... uh, the dark basement kind of hacker environment. I suspect that might have been, well, dominated by a particular subculture. How did you How did you break out? What brought you into the light? It is so funny. You and I have literally just met and you have hit the nail on the head for how we began. So um, we were invited to a lot of events that were literally held in basements. Um, they'd fear, feed us beer and pizza for three days straight at a hackathon. And then at the end, these lovely, well-meaning people would say, oh, I'm so glad you came. Can you bring more other women? Why don't more other women come to our events? And we'd look at them and say, why does anyone come to these events? You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> and so Girl Geek Academy was founded in 2014 um, when we ran the world's first all-women hackathon. Um, and we, we designed from first principles what we wanted a hackathon to look like. And so we were like, well, it will probably have sunlight. Um, we will probably have some cupcakes and some tea, some yoga, uh, and we want women to feel like it's a space where they're, uh, you know, feeling included. Um, and we'll just invite all our friends. And so we did that. And afterwards, I said, this was so fun. I, I wonder how many other people are running women's events, you know, women's hackathons like this. We should be their friends. And so I looked And I looked and I looked and I could not find anyone who had run an all-women hackathon at that point in time. And I remember thinking, it's 2014. You know, this is the low-hanging fruit. This is some of the easy stuff you can do to include women in technology and it's not being done. So, therefore, who's biting off the hard stuff? And that's when Girl Geek Academy was founded. Right. Okay. So, just for the sake of our listeners who might have a little bit of trouble understanding what you're talking about, what is a hackathon? (laughs) 
So a hackathon usually runs from a Friday night. So you think around six o'clock, you'll kick off with some dinner and you'll have a conversation about, I'd like to meet other people to build some technology with. And you come up with an idea on the Friday night of what you'd like to build or a problem that you would like to solve. And then you work on it for 48 hours. And on Sunday afternoon, you present back to everybody and say, this is what we built. And the idea is to do it quickly and to come up with a way to test your idea very quickly and that you can turn around and actually start talking to people about whether it's a good idea or not. So is it, it's all software-based, I take it? Um, largely, but there there are hackathons that um, you know involve 3D printing and robotics and making. Right. Um, but the ones that we focus on have been primarily software-based because we want more women building their own startups and technology companies. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up because when I hear the word hackathon, I wonder whether some people think, hang on a minute, you're just a bunch of people hacking into other people's privacy and bank accounts and things, but it's more about creating something than breaking into something. Absolutely. Although the comparison that I use is it's like hacking things together with sticky tape. Oh. You know, it's like you've just bunged it together. It's it's not it's deliberately not perfect because the idea is that you're you're trying to create a prototype of something to be able to test the idea and test the concept and see if it works before you move on to investing money and time and skills uh, into building it out further. Well, look, let's get straight into uh, what we might call the the confronting issue, and that's gender. Now, you've talked briefly about this, but you, you sound very enthusiastic about how you just thought, okay, well, we need an all-women's hackathon. But surely there must have been some kind of realization when you think, hang on a minute, this has just been dominated by men for far too long. Uh, how confronting was that when you thought about really getting something started? Well, it was a lived experience for me. Um, I started to learn coding when I was five years old. Um, and the way that I learned was my teacher had... Um, secured a grant for computers from the New South Wales Department of Education. And we learned with a heap of microbees that were set up in a classroom that was very, very tiny. We were all on top of each other and yelling at each other, how did you do that? How did you put that together? And um, so for me, it's always been a very social um, environment working in technology. And then right through to me growing up in high school, um, I was pushed out of technology around about year 10 um, when I built a website and I loved it so much. I put on all the extras, all the bells and whistles. And my teacher at the time was a substitute teacher and teaching out of field, but said, uh, Sarah, you get a pass minus. And I said, why? This took me a lot of time. And he said, your website doesn't look like everyone else's. So it must be wrong. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and these days I'd say, write a better brief, dude. But um, <laughs> at the time... I was broken hearted, and you know, and 16. So I was like, well, if you don't want me to be here, I'll go take my skills where they're wanted, you know, and I went and studied legal studies instead. But oh, no. <laughs> so I rage quit in year 10. Um, but I still love technology. And so for me, you know, I, I slowly eked my way back over into technology. And my co-founders have all got technology careers, but we realized you know, we were passionate about this our whole lives. And then we turn around and all of a sudden, where are all of our friends? They've fallen off along the way. Um, you know, women and girls are interested in technology, but we lose them from industry over time. And it's like death by a thousand cuts. So yeah, for us, it's not like I realized one day, well, actually we did. We, we turned around and went, where are all of our friends? And so we've been trying to recreate those networks and, and those uh, connections between women and girls ever since. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, how you then began to organize, because once you then did start to look around for your network, I, I presume it was more than just people saying, oh, um, we need to have women in tech. Surely there must have been some kind of uh, organization behind that thinking once you realized you had a bit of momentum. Yeah, and so I think when we started out, we assumed, well, we'd sort of been told by society, oh, girls and women aren't interested in tech. They don't pick it as a subject. They don't do this. Women don't do that. And then after a while, when we started to unpick it, you know, we found the women who I guess had survived and were still around, you know, they'd stuck it out. Um, and we'd find these other women who maybe had, like I had, been pushed out over time. And we realised that this, this isn't a problem of women not being interested but not being included and not um, being able to succeed in, in these environments over time. And so we then started to work to make sure that narrative was being changed. Um, and that is something that's always been really important to us. So we try to have a high media profile. We'll jump onto a podcast and have a chat about, you know, some of the issues that we're facing into because it's quite easy to look at it as a problem that women have as opposed to something that has happened to women. And so, yeah, we try to re-navigate that course. And I think in Australia it's largely working, you know, there, mm. there is a lot of conversations about the lack of women in STEM and those conversations have evolved from women opting out to actually this is a problem of women not being included. Mm. And I believe that at the moment the problem is almost uh, evening out because in terms of technology teacher education there are problems there as well and it would be interesting to look at the split there in terms of gender in terms of who still is teaching or sorry who still is choosing that path. So I guess it's still I mean, you're, you're working towards solutions, but I guess it's still complex. Once you, once you then started to break out and, be, and get that exposure that you were just talking about, what kind of awareness did you create? When, when you got out there and when people listened to those conversations that you have, the podcast that you're on, like this one, for example, what is the response that you get? Um, I think it varies. It varies on who we're speaking to because when we talk about the problem of the lack of women um, in STEM and technology, it's actually a lot of problems that build up over time. And so depending on who the audience is, it depends on, you know, which problem you actually bring up. For example, one problem that I find really fascinating is that with a number of girls' schools, um, if you cannot make the numbers to run a year 11 class, the class doesn't run. And so what happens is we have this big push to get more girls into STEM, keep them in STEM, and it gets to year 10 and they're like, yes, I'm ready to go. But actually there's only two or three people who want to do it and therefore they can't select it as an elective in year 11. Um, and so even if I get that number up to five people or up to eight people, um, the fact that those classes don't run in year 11 mean those girls have to pick something else and they miss out and they've been pushed off that track. Now that's such a super specific problem, <laughs> like, you know, that mm. girls in year 10 have getting to girls in year 11. But, you know, it is creating a cliff. And so that's a conversation I need to be having with school principals or with, um, you know, the way that we fund our, our teachers in classrooms to make sure that that class is always available, whether it's one kid or whether it's 20, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas that's a very different conversation to what I will have with um, potential investors. So um, only 3% of the world's venture capital goes to women-led companies. And so if you think about all our technological infrastructure, the apps on your phone, you know, the, the way our computers work, um, the companies that are, that are building that infrastructure are 97%, 
invested in, um, you know, they're, they're male-led companies. And so without that sort of gender equality, we don't have women-led companies, we don't have women tech CEOs. So, you know, that's a completely different problem, but it is all bundled into this problem of the lack of women in STEM. Well, you are now the CEO of what is now a company, and arguably now after uh, five, six, seven years, uh, it's it's a maturing business. Who are your customers? Ah, such a great question. I love it. And I will say that I fought hard to call myself the CEO because of the lack of women CEOs No, I think you should. Yeah, definitely call yourself the CEO. <laughs> Absolutely. And my favourite part is when I meet a young girl to be able to give them my business card and be like, hey, you're only seven years old, but you now know a CEO. You nice. can call me Time. And so I, I get emails from, from young people, uh, particularly primary school students, who will very much hold me accountable to making sure that they <laughs> I love it. They're my boss, you know, that's how it works. Um, yeah. <laughs> Look, they're adorable. It's really great, but also very demanding. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to remember that anytime I feel like people don't ring me up enough, I'm just going to make a business card and put a CEO label on it and say, look, you can call me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I like, I like that strategy. <laughs> no, it works really well. Um, and I've been so distracted by my adorable young people. Can you repeat the question again? Who oh, my business model. Who, no, who, who are my customers? Who are your customers? That's what I want to know. Well, I've told you it's those young people, those young whippersnappers. But um, so the way we run as a company, we were very deliberate in setting ourselves up as a company and not a non-for-profit. Mm -hmm. And there was twofold reasons for that. One was people were wanting to emulate what we were doing. Um, and so when we had previously had an iteration where we were running a chapter of a non-for-profit and everyone came to us with ideas for wanting to run their own non-for-profits. I think that's really important. I think the non-for-profit sector is really, really important. But the change we wanted to make was to see more women building technology and technology companies. So we set up as a company, which then means we need customers. Um, and over time, that has evolved. Um, we've got a mix, and I'll be very specific about it because I think people looking for new business models might be interested. So mm. the way um, the way that we look at it is we have individual customers and we know that they can spend, you know, on yourself you can spend maybe equivalent to the cost of a festival ticket for a learning experience. So if you think about going, you know, the, the equivalent of going to Splendor in the Grass or Blues Fest or whatever, so maybe about $100 for a weekend. Yep. Then you have people who, companies that are like, really like what you're doing there, can you just come and do it at my company? And they can spend maybe between 3 and 5K to be able to do that, or maybe even you know, 1,500 up to 5K to do that. Yep. Um, so that's sort of your businesses who are just happy to have off the shelf. Then you have companies who are really looking to innovate and want to innovate alongside us. And they can sort of spend, you know, from 20K up to a couple of 100K to work together to make that happen. And then we have the, the change that we need, that we know needs to happen, but that the market can't pay for. And that's when we speak to government and we go for government grants and we say, look, this is the market isn't going to solve this problem, but you agree and back it up with policy and, and uh, with us running boots on the ground, how we go about doing that. So our customers are individuals who may come to events that we're running and programs, um, smaller businesses who just want to make an impact in their own community or their own business um, through to your, you know, um, Microsoft has partnered with us on Microsoft Mondays. We've had various other large corporate um, conversations and they want to move the needle with us. And then we've had clients such as uh, the Victorian, Victorian state government through Film Victoria, 
through LaunchVic. We've um, been recipients of the Women in STEM and Entrepreneurship Grants through the federal government. And so that's where we go, this is going to move the needle and these are some programs we'd like to run. So that's how we see it, yeah. So the next logical question then, I think you just started to uh, explain that, was what is the product? Is it mainly an advisory or an advocacy service? Well, I wouldn't say that we have one product. Um, So we have uh, different products for different customers. Um, And I don't see us as a traditional business. It's not like a bakery where you go in and go, I would like one jam donut, please. We, I have, I'll be honest, I have a post-it note wall of the change that need, the changes that I believe need to be made at any point in time, then another post-it note wall that has all the money that's available and the people who are willing to make that change. And when those two match up, when I can take a problem that needs to be solved with somebody who's willing to pay for it, that's when the rubber hits the road and we, we, um, we make a sale. Mm. So let's come back to those younger clients of yours, the, the ones who love to call yeah. you from the number on your business card, there is a, <laughs> there's a strong focus on teaching kids uh, what you might call, let's just call it broadly, STEM skills, which is the science, technology, engineering, and maths. Why do we think that that's important now? Why is that suddenly burst onto the scene? And the reason why I ask that is because, well, weren't we designing jumbo jets 40 years ago? Why STEM now? It's a really great question, Um, and I think it depends. There's there's a multitude of answers, but I will say that we are facing into some massive shortages um, coming up in the future. Cybersecurity in particular, we are lacking the talent to fill our future cybersecurity needs in Australia, and that's men and women. Like, that's that's everybody. Um, I think there's also, and, you know, I'm particularly technology biased, but when we think about Australia having to dig less coal out of the ground and rely on on the traditional business models that we've previously had, technology is, um, it provides a lot of opportunity for what uh, future employment and future jobs may be. And so I, I feel like that is the shift. Again, that's, I'm, I'm very technology heavy on the, on the STEM side. Um, but I think there is this idea that STEM feels like it offers the future. And so that's why we want to make that investment there and, and see that happen. Um, as for what, I mean, it's sort of hard though because, you know, we've had different booms um, in science, in engineering, and there's been times where the jobs have eventually dried up or, you know, the boom has shifted. And so relying so heavily on that is a bit strange to me. But at Go Geek Academy, we we think of it as being that we need hackers, hustlers, and hipsters. And so- <laughs> Sorry, say that again. <laughs> Say that, say that again. Who do you need? <laughs> hackers, hustlers, and hipsters. And so right. hackers are your, your technical, the, the people who are going to build things, they're, they're, they're the builders. And then hipsters are the people who make things look and feel amazing. So your artists, your designers, um, they think about aesthetics and brand and fonts and usability and all of those things, and they design to solve problems. And then the hustlers are the people who, they make sure that if we're going to create an amazing piece of technology that it gets sold, the people are using it, and they make sure that whatever the hacker and hipster build, that it gets out into the world and comes to life. And so that's our way of looking at it, which is not just purely, we don't just need people who can code. We need people who can take problems and solve them and make sure those solutions um, are, are widely adapted by the broader community. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and to be honest, so so um, when like we have uh, stuck by that for a long time, we didn't come up with those three terms, but they're the key ingredients to creating um, a, you know a technology product. But it actually overla- overlaps with the national digital technologies curriculum. So hacking is algorithmic thinking. Hipsters are that design thinking and hustlers are about systems thinking. And so we really like the interplay um, between those, you know, those three different, I guess, almost personality types. And you usually have a bit of an overlap and wear more than one hat. So if there is such a great need and if we say say that uh, STEM is considered or that, the, you know, the factors around STEM is considered to be the future, is it fair to say then that we've got a a shortage of technology education teachers? Are we facing that problem as well? Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, Absolutely. And, I mean, I personally think that it's a lot of pressure to put on teachers to have to add technology into the classroom. And and what I mean by that is, you know, our curriculums are full and and that's, that's fine, but there are other ways that I think that we can really pick up how we bring along young people on this journey of learning. And so this is why for us, we've partnered with Microsoft to um, create Microsoft Mondays. And that happens from 4.30 till six o'clock on Monday afternoons. So after school, we have a beautiful large community of girls who come together. We teach them whatever is most relevant to where we're at at that time. Um, And they build a community around that. Uh, It's a community of girls from all over Australia. There's over 400 people who have signed up so far. Um, and what's really wonderful is that we're creating relationships um, and it's, it's, it will help them with what they create in the classroom, but it's about looking at that young per- person and being able to say, hey, here's some people that are like you. Why don't you go and discover what, it, what the future looks like together? So you've proposed your, hang on, let me get this right, hackers, hustlers and hipsters model, which to me just sounds just really funky, right? And and then when I think about the words teacher or technology teacher crisis or shortage crisis, I just think, well, one of those sounds really interesting and the other one sounds really awful. Is it the fact that we've maybe just got some bad PR or maybe we could do some better PR with how we try to attract our educators to be more technology minded or to maybe even specialize in technology areas? Oh, 100%. Um, so, you know, I've said... For, I won't stop yapping on about how much, you know, and particularly technology has a branding problem. Um, and what I don't understand is the disconnect between every young person having, you know, a tablet or, or a laptop in the home and yet suddenly it becomes uncool to study it, you know, or, yeah. or the same thing with technology teaching. Like, you know, we understand these tools are incredible and yet they're suddenly not incredible Um to, to be able to, you know, to want to pick as a vocation. Um, I think there's more to it than that. I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot around the lack of inclusion of women in STEM also going to the lack of um, inclusion being felt by people who want to be STEM teachers. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think there's definitely a, a correlation there. And, you know, that's why we're really um, focused on unpacking more than one problem <laughs> yeah. and really trying, trying, to, trying to shape that narrative. So, yeah. So if young women are feeling a bit on the outer, they're feeling marginalised or they just don't have the numbers to get a subject up and running, as we've talked about, but they're pretty keen and aspirational and uh, they just want to get started, 
how, how do they overcome those barriers? What should they do in the current climate? And how can the academy help them? Yeah, so the number one thing for us is making sure if you're a woman who is passionate about these things that you have at least one friend who, who you know, who will stand by you through it. So we say get yourself a girl gang, um, which is really, it's, it is crucial to your success to make sure that you have a support network around you. Um, and so, so for us, that is about... We try to create environments where women can meet other women um, and, and you know, spark up a friendship. Um, but, uh, yeah, and so if you're at, you know, for example, if you're at high school, we'd invite you to come along to our high school workshops. If you're at university, seek out your local club. And almost every university across Australia now has um, some form of women in STEM um, club on campus, which is great to see. Um, and then within your organisation, um, you know, what women in tech, women in STEM groups are there because most um, companies now are on the track of developing their um, employee support programs for women in technology at least. Um, and then my goal is to make sure that those groups are all friends with each other. <laughs> <laughs> so- it's a big ambition, but, you know, uh, someone's got to have it. So if we can boil all that down into what we might call a key takeaway. So uh, a young woman listening to this conversation might think, right, here's one thing I need to take away from this. What would that be? Get yourself a girl gang. That is absolutely the, the number one. It is the first step on your journey to a success in STEM. Well, Sarah, this has been so inspirational to listen to. I've really enjoyed our conversation this afternoon. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Hackers, hustlers, hipsters, and girl gangs. How's that for inspirational? You've been listening to Central Station. If this message resonates with you, or if you know of a school that's trying to build its resources to support young women in tech, then please share this episode with a friend or colleague. And if you'd like to get in touch with Sarah or Girl Geek Academy, visit the website at girlgeekacademy.com. For more stories from inspiring educators around Australia, make sure you subscribe to Central Station on your favourite podcast app, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Central. To find out more, visit the website, central.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.